Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B growth podcast. I'm Alex Hipwell. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what's behind their failures. Today on the podcast feed, we're sharing an edited version of our session on how B2B organizations can leverage public relations. Our guests include Bowden Westover, the VP of Brand and Communications at Catapult. He's also a former pro basketball player for the Melbourne Tigers. Samantha Dieback, the founder and managing director of the PR Hub and host of the Influence Unlocked podcast, check it out. And Kate Toon, the SEO queen, founder of the Kate Toon Group of Companies and author of Confessions of a Misfit Entrepreneur, How to Succeed in Business Despite Yourself. They're joined by Growth Colony host and founder of X-Growth, Shaheen Hoda, to dive deep into the topic of PR, what it's really about, and how to use it to grow your business and build trust. Let's dive right in. The first thing that I want to ask is, how do you, how do you go about define PR? I mean, you know, for, for a long time, I was like, PR, press releases, right? That's that's pretty much it. So so how would you what what is PR um, from a standpoint of a of a company that, that is trying to get exposure? Uh, yeah, hopefully it's not just press releases because we don't actually write press releases at Catapult. Um, so uh, which I'll probably come back to in a later point. But um, I think of public relations as uh, I guess the amplification of an organization's purpose and values. So it's defined in different ways at various organizations, depending sort of how you structure your team. So Sometimes it's just media engagement. Sometimes it's social media. Sometimes it's events. Sometimes it's everything. Uh, but it's essentially the maintenance of your company's image externally, um, which requires a deep understanding of your strategy to ensure that you're positioning your brand in the correct way with each story. So it's kind of an extension of um, your your company's purpose. And if you can't understand that and why you're unique, um, I think you're you're always going to be a little bit behind the eight ball with PR. You're going to have a bit of, bit of problem with PR and a lot of other things, right? Um, now, you know, I, I kind of start with a misconception about PR, Samantha, um, where, uh, you know, for, for a long time, I was like, press releases. What are some of the, some of the usual misconceptions that you come across when you're, when you're dealing with clients and, and talking, about, talking about PR with them? Like, what, what is it that they're thinking? And you're like, well, that's, that's you're, you're off after like you, you're not on the, on the same page. What are some of the things that you come across? Yeah, uh, look, I loved um, just on that point. I loved what Bowdoin was saying about how PR is an extension of a company's purpose, uh, because that's very much where I think a lot of businesses do go wrong with public relations or the misconception is very much around PR is, is just press releases or we just need it when we're doing a company announcement and it's a tag on to, to the business rather than, as Bowdoin was saying, you know, it should be part of the, strat- the strategy, the overall strategy, and considering that in terms of where does PR fit when we're trying to achieve something with the business. So, you know, as an example with clients, we will always start with business objectives and then work backwards to work out what the comms or the PR plan looks like to help them achieve those goals. So, you know, that that is one misconception. I, I think another thing about a misconception around PR is that it's fluff. Uh, that it's not measurable, that, you know, that, that we just do a PR campaign and, and what did we get at the end of it? 
And, and I think part of that is the education process when you're speaking to a PR firm or a PR agency. Um, and again, it's very much about seeing it as part of the strategic uh, direction of the business and not just something that isn't measurable because you can measure PR, not in the same way that you would a direct response campaign or, you know, a click, you know, paid for click uh, campaign that you would do online. But it's definitely has its own measurements if you, you know, step back and look at how does it fit within what we're trying to achieve as a business and then where do we think it can help us best do that. Right, right. I, I definitely would like to come back to that point of uh, measuring PR. That sounds like an interesting, interesting topic as well. And uh, and Kate, tell us a little bit about SEO and PR because this is something that I've recently, uh, you know, probably in the in the past two years, kind of seen the the connection between um, SEO and PR. We previously, just before this call, we were talking about, hey, a lot of people would look at SEO and be like, well, that's just that's just digital marketing where it, it really has turned into digital PR. Can you, can you give us a little bit of an overview of that as well? And I think lots of people think that SEO is a checkbox to be ticked, like it's something you do once or that it's highly technical. You know, it's about your site speed and being responsive and all that kind of stuff. And while it is, don't get me wrong, that's really just the starting point. After that, you're in a kind of, never-ending journey to just get your brand out there because as, as Google gets increasingly competitive and sophisticated, it's always going to be easier to be found for who you are than what you do. So, you know, I want to be searching for Bowdoin Westover. I don't want to be searching for name of company or even what they do really necessarily. I want to be searching for the people, maybe the brand name, and you do that through getting your name out there and PR obviously helps you do that. These days as well, I think we all probably know that links to your site have an influence on where Google ranks you. Google denies this to some degree, but we can see that sites that have a lot of great links from high profile websites tend to do better in the search results. And the old tactics of getting links by, you know, comment spamming and putting yourself on directories, they don't really make any, they don't really do anything these days. Really, a good quality link comes from building up a relationship with another site or media source, getting a story or an interview or a podcast, and then getting that link. We say in SEO terms that the harder a link is to get, the more worthwhile it is to have. And that's where PR comes into play, trying to find not necessarily newsworthy stories, but even just stories that other outlets are going to be interested in, are going to be willing to feature you on their site and give you a link back. Right. And that's, you know, that's really the, the connection with SEO and PR becoming kind of that, that digital PR um, where, uh, where things like backlinks become really important, which we'll come, come back to that uh, and, and definitely discuss that. So uh, I kind of dropped out in the middle over there and I was like, oh my goodness, um, the, uh, the worst nightmare that uh, someone on a webinar could have ha just happened, but I'm back. I'm back. Um, okay. So let's talk about, you know, how did, like, where would marketers start? Like, let's, let's talk about the starting points. And, and Bowden, I'd love to get your opinion on this. I, I remember years ago we had a chat and you had, you had some, some really interesting insights about, you know, if, if, if a marketer in an organization want to start doing some work around PR, what is your advice for them? Where should they, where should they get started? 
Yeah, it's a good question. So um, to come back to sort of the, the purpose and your values and everything, I think probably positioning is one of the most important things in marketing. So knowing where you fit in the buyer's mind and what makes you unique compared to every other company in the world. So being able to hone in on that positioning and understanding what makes you interesting is pretty critical. And I would imagine um, Samantha in particular, when she first deals with the client, she's trying to like uncover, like, why am I working with this client? Why have they come to me and what's special about them? And it's amazing how many people that work in companies don't really understand what that sort of unique selling proposition is for them. And you sort of have to keep asking them why, like, okay, that's important, but why, why are you doing that? So, um, honing in on that from the start is super important. So if there's, I think if there's nothing unique about your company, which I would say is pretty rare, then, um, at that stage just create something unique. So, um, for example, like if you're a cafe, like make the biggest latte in Melbourne or like donate 25% of your profits to a good cause or something. So something that ties your brand to something interesting, but also ties that interesting thing to um, your values and your purpose. Um, and then I think once you have something worth talking about, like understanding how the media works is pretty critical. Um, what you'll need to consider with the, the timing of your pitch. Um, the three things I'm always pretty mindful of when I'm dealing with the media um, so what, what's the hook? So is there, is there already interest in this topic? Um, the timeliness, so what's happening in the world right now? Um, and then the proximity, like how close is it? So if we're releasing a new product, like right now, if we can somehow tie it to um, COVID-19, that's going to be a bit of a win. Um, if, if it's about the AFL, obviously we're, we'll only pitch locally. Um, and then if, if something's happened, like a, a player got injured or whatever, and we'll try and position the story around that. So knowing what's going on in the world is super important and not just saying, I work for this company, we've released this thing, like, can you write about it basically? Right, right, okay. And, you know, so getting started, uh, and, and I, would, I would imagine this is, this is quite similar to what you go through as well, Kate. Um, getting started with whether it's, you know, trying to get on podcasts and, you know, publications and so on and so forth. Where should, where should people start? Should they, you know, start aiming way at the top? Um, should they start there, are, you know, certain areas that they can get exposure a lot easier and then gradually build it up. I mean, you mentioned you know, the harder, the, um, the, uh, a, a kind of backlink or, or, or mention on a, on a media source. It, it is the harder you have to work for it. Uh, but, you know, where if, if I'm a marketer and I want to get that exposure, um, whether it's on online platforms, where, where should I start with that? Well, you should probably hire Samantha. But if you uh, if you can't and I think, you know, a lot of smaller business owners, PR might not be the first thing that they think to invest money in, just like SEO isn't necessarily. And um, I think the first kind of exposure you can get is through your existing contacts. You know, they say that in the first year of business, most of your clients will be friends or friends of friends or people you've worked with before. I think the same happens with exposure. And I've always worked, I've having got this kind of good karma approach to, uh, you know, getting exposure in that I try to help people out who are as appreciative of, of the help as I am of their help, if you see what I mean. So I am not going and trying to get on Amy Porterfield's podcast because who the heck am I to her? But if I reach out to another person who has a podcast that's maybe just starting, yeah, sure, maybe it doesn't have an amazing audience download, but it's started. We both benefit. They're highly likely to make a fuss of having me on the podcast and vice versa. And we kind of both lift each other up. So I kind of try and work with my peer group 
you know, helping people who are on kind of my level or even to a degree reaching down rather than reaching up. And somebody who's just starting out, like I've often been the first guest on lots of people's podcasts. And at that point, they have no listenership. But then some of those podcasts have gone on to be hugely successful. And then when I come back two years later and they've got the listeners, it all it's good karma. So helping people out to help you. And also Bowden mentioned something. And, and this, I also think, is good karma, like helping support charities, you know, giving donations, uh, you know, being visible in that way. You're genuinely helping. But obviously, they're also maybe going to mention you, maybe give you a backlink. So there's benefit back. But you've actually done something good to get something good. So I'm all about the good feelings. It's all, it's all about the good karma. Mm-hmm. Samantha, what, are, what do you think about that? That, that was such good advice, Kate. I, you know, I think one of the uh, sort of a misconception but also one of the things where people do tend to go wrong with PR is if you're starting out and nobody does know you and you have no awareness that aiming for the top is, is a waste of time um, and, and a really bad expectation or re- it's not a realistic expectation. So as Kate said, you know, you might be going for some of those podcasts that are just launching or those media titles online that, you know, you would look at it and say, who the heck is even reading it? Uh, the point is you have to start somewhere and, and the best clients that we've worked with who have gone on to amazing success years later because it does take years to get to get to that cut level of coverage where people actually do really know you en masse, um, they, they bite at everything. You know, they're, they're the fastest to reply to, a, to an opportunity. They're always saying yes within reason and, and time of doing things within their organisation, but they're the ones that don't look at it and go, oh, that's beneath me. So, you know, you don't necessarily need a big budget to start with PR. And if you're starting small, sometimes you are the PR. You're the PR, the people who work for you are the PR. So you really need to think of PR as much broader than just a specific campaign or hiring an agency, particularly at the beginning. Can I add something there? Because something I think that I really misunderstood about PR until very recently, so I'm going to look like an idiot, is I really thought that it had to be a newsworthy story. You know, like something had happened. I always remember being asked to write a press release for this IT company and they'd got one new car parking space for that in the car park and they wanted to do a press release about that. And I was like, that's not really news, you know, like, um, but I thought that it had to be kind of an event or something that had happened, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. Um, I'm sure Samantha can explain that better to me. Nothing eventful happens in my business, but it's about having stories and pitches and an opinion Uh, on maybe something that's happening now or just a good luck story or a success story you know we all need the panda story at the end of the news you can be the panda story do you know what I mean Samantha like I think people think they have to have something super exciting happening yeah I mean it comes back to Bowden's point you know find something unique you know you don't always have an announcement something exciting to tell every month of the year but you can offer an expert opinion. You can come up with something unique like, and think forwards. And that's where PRs um, and marketing should work really closely together because you're helping drive almost, you know, the PR ideas can help drive what the marketing teams do within your business. Uh, so, yeah, it doesn't always have to be newsworthy or what you think is a news announcement to get some coverage. Just to also add to that point, I always think of um, like approaching the really big publications as like working your way up a ladder. So like um, Kate and Samantha have both said, like the, the low-hanging fruit, you're, you're, it's sort of mutually beneficial, like they're creating content. They might not have an audience. You're helping with them. They're helping you by getting your word out there. But no one reads the media more than people that work in the media. So a lot of the times those little things will get picked up by sort of a middle-tier publication, which will get picked up by a bigger one. Um, and sometimes you have to help push it up the ladder, obviously. 
um, and, and sort of copy the links and say, oh, we, we were covered in this small publication. We're a small company. You probably haven't heard of it because reporters like to feel like they've uncovered something. And all of a sudden you've worked your way up that ladder and then you're more comfortable pitching to um, like a Forbes or a Wall Street Journal or something. Whereas if you tried that from the start, you might have had no chance. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, there's something you said over there. What did you mean by making them feel they've uncovered something? Uh, well, I think that's pretty important with every pitch. Like um, the the one uh, panel I did with you guys probably almost two years ago now, we had um, Dave from the Australian on there and, and he said he only opens emails if exclusive isn't the subject. Um, and a lot of reporters won't admit to that. But like if, if you're just, and it goes back to my point about not writing press releases, if you're sending the same thing out to everyone, the chances of them covering it are pretty unlikely because they don't want to just write about what everyone else is writing about. You need to give them a unique angle specifically for them. Um, so yeah, like especially in the early days when our company was 10 people and we started working with NFL teams, my whole pitch was like, we're a tiny Australian company. You've never heard of us. No one's heard of us in America, but our technology is being worn by like some of the best athletes in the U S and like, it was a, it was a gimme <laughs> in terms of PR. Like, there's no way they weren't going to write about it. But now we're a little bit bigger. And if I were to pitch like an AFL story now, um, a Herald Sun writer would be like, yeah, we, we, we know what you guys are doing. Like, that's not unique. So it, it needs to be something like uncoverable for them. Right, right. Now, Samantha, you talked about measuring PR. And, and that's important because, you know, the marketer needs to report up and, uh, you know, sometimes the, the the management or the upper management or leadership might not have that kind of knowledge of, of how marketing and PR would work. So they're they're they in a short period of time they could say, no, this is not working. Can it stop it? How how should somebody go and, and measure PR? So the first thing I would say is is that you need to work out why you're doing PR. And yeah, sometimes we've, we've had people come to us in the past and say, oh, you know, we don't have a massive budget, and, but we just want to do some PR because we need to get 2,000 leads to the site or we need to get 2,000 people to sign up. Uh, and the first question I'll ask is, what else are you doing in and around marketing and comms to help drive that? Because if you're looking just to PR to do something that's quite a measurable outcome, I would say probably forget it because that's not necessarily going to come just from PR. Um, but, you know, we, we have clients that would measure PR because they have picked up leads that have opened opportunities for international markets. So, again, it very much, but that will tie back to their business objectives of wanting to go to international. So, you can, you know, PR is not as, as I said before, it's not as definitive as, say, an online uh, social media campaign where you can measure the clicks or you can measure the sign-ups or, you know, the, the engagement in that way. But it's definitely, it's if you're, you know, if for an example, you're looking to raise capital. And we have a lot of clients that are in that position or are looking to do a series B or a series A after they've gone through that process initially. Uh, it could be about generating coverage that then goes into a portfolio that can be put in front of investors when they're pitching for capital. And so for them, that's that's a measurement. That's an outcome that they can look at and go, that works for us. So there's, there's a variety of ways you can check measurement um, on PR, but it's very much about defining what the business objective is first and then tying the comms back to, you know, work towards that goal. Yeah, gotcha. Kate, how do you go about measuring from, you know, from, from the SEO perspective and the digital perspective? Is it, you know, is that connected to backlinks? Is that, how does, how does measurement work for you uh, from, from the SEO standpoint? 
Well, I think that where everyone thinks it comes from is just looking at ranking, you know, where am I ranking for a particular term? But in truth, ranking changes all the time. It's very subjective. It's all linked in with personalization. So depending on what you're logged into, if you visited the site before, so you never really can get a true picture of ranking. And also ranking something you can't control because obviously it's a leaderboard. And if one of your competitors is doing more than you, at uh, that particular week, they could rank above you, even though you've done all the things. So these days, we, we obviously care about ranking, but we also look at uh, engagement factors. So, you know, how much time are people spending on the site? What percent of visitors are new versus repeat? So, you know, if you've done a big PR campaign, you'd expect to see the new to go up. You know, where that audience is coming from, what device they're using it on. You can look at referral links. So you can very clearly see in Google Analytics that this piece of media in this particular area drove traffic to your site. So you can look at referral links and then what they did then. So you can set up goals within Google Analytics to say, well, then they looked at another page and then they ended up on my contact page. So I can actually pretty much directly say that that was as a result of, of the PR. Um, but also the big thing we look at is, you know, looking at the keywords that are doing well and, and hoping that you're getting more branded search uh, results. So that's that whole thing of people are actually searching for Kate Toon, not SEO course, because they've actually heard about me and my brand awareness is working. And that's, you know, the people who are, they're kind of bottom of funnel people. We really want those people because they, they don't just want any old SEO course. They want mine and they're highly more likely to convert if they put my name in. So there's a lot of different metrics you can look at there. Yeah. That, that last one was an interesting one and, and it kind of went, it was, it was driven home for me by a recent conversation that, that I was having someone when they you know, one of their metrics where they were, they were measuring, uh, the, uh, the, the, the voice of the brand and uh and that was particularly it like they were measuring there was a certain period that they measured how many times people were searching their specific brand on uh on on google and then comparing that to a later uh time in terms of like did that change and then they were associating that with a lot of the brand building and the PR work that they were, they were It's doing. actually a really important tactic and you'll see a lot of PR people doing this now as well. That in, at the end of the article, instead of sometimes a lot of media outlets won't actually let you have a direct link. Um, and also often in social media, having a link within a particular post will actually reduce the visibility of that post. So what people are doing more is instead of having a link, say, saying search for you know, the recipe for SEO success in Google. I mean, obviously there you have to hope that you are ranking pretty high. Don't do that if you're not ranking really well. But what that does is people search for that. They find you, they click on your result and they stay on your page. And we believe that Google sees that kind of engagement and the fact that the user hasn't pogoed straight back out to the search results to search again. It goes, wow, this must be the right results. So the more people who are searching for your brand over time, that will actually improve your ability to rank for that term. But also it's a rising tide lifts all boats. So it improves your ranking overall for all the other terms that aren't brand related. So that's a clever little tactic you can use, especially if you can't get a link, because sometimes you don't get a link, do you, Samantha? They don't let you have one. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for that. For that. Um, okay. Now, before I ask my next question, one of the things that I want to say to everyone who's listening is if you have questions, make sure to pop it in the uh, Q&A section there. I know there is a uh, on Zoom, there's like chat and then there is Q&A. So make sure you drop it in 
I think we have some in the chat box. So if we could, uh, if you could transfer that, it's it's a lot easier for me to uh, look at the Q and A. Um, let's uh, let's take a few questions from there. So Lisa is asking, Kate, can you please outline the steps you mentioned about getting links to other sites or platforms that give me a good SEO position? So in the world of links, uh, a particular platform called Moz uses a metric called domain authority. And domain authority is kind of Google's scorecard for how well, how great it thinks that site is, how cool it is, basically. Um, And so generally, when we're looking to get links, we want to get links from sites with high domain authority. It's pretty straightforward. A link from the New York Times is going to be worth a little bit more than a link from, you know, Shahin's blog about hamsters or whatever. Um, You want to get links from high profile websites because the more SEO love they have, the more SEO love passes down the tube. So you, you would probably, you know, the first thing you would do is look at what, your, what, what links your competitors have. So using a tool like Ahrefs or SEMrush or Moz, pop your competitor's name in, look at all the backlinks that they have and make that your shopping list. You know, they managed to get an article on Flying Solo. You pitch an article to Flying Solo. They were on, you know, uh, this particular podcast. You pitch that particular podcast. That can be a great way to start and identify opportunities. But honestly, you know, link outreach really doesn't work that well. I mean, I must get 20 unsolicited requests to be on my podcast a week, which I just delete. It's really about building relationships, you know, so going out and being the first to comment on someone's stuff, sharing people's stuff, you know, encouraging them, helping them so that when you do then pitch to them, then they know who you are. And I think this is why, again, people don't get PR because they think, well, I just write one press release, send it to my PR person and I'll be famous. And it's like, no, no, no. You have to build up a relationship sometimes over months, over years with that media outlet before they will feature anything. And the same goes for guest blogs, you know, podcasts, everything else. You have to have a relationship. So yeah, start building the love now, I would say. So start building the love. Uh, and yeah, the human element is, is quite strong uh, in, in that, in, in the whole SEO work. And, uh, and yeah, now my hamster blog is doing quite well. I mean, you know, we're, if, if anyone, yeah, I want a link, you promised me a link from your yeah. fa- favorite hamster page. That's your best page. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll work on that. We'll chat to Alex. <laughs> hey, it's Alex from X growth. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about the growth colony Slack channel. Do you ever find yourself stuck with a B2B problem? Need a second opinion on your next campaign? Or looking for some feedback on that piece of MarTech you're thinking to purchase? Well, that's why we created the Growth Colony Slack channel. This Slack channel is like a small dinner party where you get to meet and mingle with B2B professionals, hear what others are doing and keep up to date with the latest B2B trends and news. You'll also get access to a range of exclusive content from our podcasts, webinars, and events. The best thing about it, it's all free. If this sounds interesting, head over to growthcolony.org forward slash slack and sign up. That's growthcolony.org forward slash slack. Okay, the other thing that I wanted to talk about is where should I, when should I seek external help? Like when that, does that become, you know, you, you both Samantha and Bowden, let's, let's start with you, Samantha. Like 
at what point do you feel like you can bring the most value to uh, to someone who, uh, who, who who is looking to do PR? Look, I, I think the first question that you need to answer is why now? So why do you want to do PR now? And are you ready? So there's two questions. Why now? And, and are you ready? And, you know, I've written before, like about a checklist that I've got for going through pe- with people. Are you ready for PR? So it's ticking off things. Um, you know, budget could be one of them. If you're looking to source somebody externally to help you, then you absolutely need budget. Um, you know, as a business person going to another business person saying, hey, like, can you like do this for me for 500 bucks or $1,000 for three months? Like, is, is that actually a fair proposition? Uh, but it's not just about budget. It's about what, what have you got? What sort of news have you got coming up in the pipeline? Uh, are you ready in terms of your online owned collateral? So, you know, do you have a website? And some of this stuff sounds extremely basic, but you'd be surprised. Do you have a good functioning website? Do you have some great profile images or are you prepared to invest in some imagery? Because imagery can get you a lot more coverage than just, you know, speaking to somebody and doing an interview. So there's there's a whole checklist on that. And I think also when you start thinking about your business, like where is your time best spent? So, you know, where do you fit in the business? Startups, founders, you know, you're doing everything. You've got juggling roles, multiple hats. But at what point do you get to the point where you go, okay, now I need to start delegating to either people internally or delegating to an external expert in an area like PR or SEO or digital marketing and and looking at what that's going to cost and looking at your budget and then deciding that your time maybe is better else like better spent elsewhere in the business rather than trying to put on the PR hat as well as everything else. Yeah, gotcha. Bon, bon, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Like when you know, I, I don't know if if you and the team work with with PR agencies. I mean, I feel like you guys have got big enough that you might be. But what point was it that you, you know you started seeking external help? Um, yeah, so I think the last time I did a PR panel, I went a little strong on the you don't need a PR agency angle, just do it yourself uh, message. Uh, the majority of the panel were from agencies and I think they all went got a drink together afterwards and didn't invite me. So I'll, I'll back off on that message a little bit this time. Uh, but So at Catapult specifically, I've worked in a few scenarios. So one, band, one man band sort of across the board, like all marketing, PR, everything. Um, having a PR manager reporting to me, so a dedicated person, and then managing one agency, managing multiple agencies. So we've sort of experimented with quite a few things. Um, so like the budget point, I think like if you want to just start experimenting with PR, like obviously you need to pay someone's salary, but besides that, you can get away with it with, with limited on, or no budget. So the first year at Catapult, um, I think I prioritized PR and small events more than anything else. And we had features in sort of Fast Company, Inc., New York Times, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, like the, the type of um, publications that we're going after for sort of sport tech business. Um, and our marketing budget was well under 100000 and I put the vast majority of that into events for existing customers. Um, so everything media-wise that we got was basically just my salary. Um, but again, that was my, like, that's what I was prioritizing. So it takes a lot of time. Um, so before you self, throw yourself into it, just be be prepared to to drop a lot of other things, as Samantha was saying. Um, so obviously, using an agency will get your results much faster, uh, but you'll you'll be paying accordingly. Um, but I think um, to go back to sort of the um, the the public part of public relations that sort of got mentioned earlier, it's probably important to to note that like 
the, the public part, I think, suggests that it's a faceless public. And to be successful in PR today, you need to treat it more like people relations. Because so much of it is how you create and maintain relationships with people. Um, and I guess that's the biggest advantage or one of the biggest advantages of working with an agency. They already have that distribution in place. They already have the relationships in place. Um, so as long as you're dedicating the time to feeding them the right information and finding those unique angles, then, then there'll be a good working relationship there. But um, you can't just, and to Samantha's point, you can't, and Kate's point, you can't just throw them a PR release and say, can you go make magic happen? Like it doesn't matter how good they are, you still have to put some, some time investment into it. There's, there's some homework to be done there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Did you want to mention something there? Yeah. I just think um, for me, cause I've been a very DIY approach. That's kind of my mantra, you know, with SEO um, and copywriting, but I think you get to the point where you've kind of exhausted your peer group literally and figuratively. And also when you really want to start working with more premium uh, publications, that they do have a certain way of working. They have certain agencies they work with. They have a certain way that they want to receive information. So I think, you know, and also PR agencies obviously have all those relationships in place. They know what they're doing. They're going to look at your pitch and go, that's not the right pitch. So I think there's kind of a certain amount of grassroots stuff you can do yourself to get started. Mm -hmm. But then when you've when you're a bit more serious, you do need the help of an expert. As with anything, you know, you can do your own accountancy for a bit, but then when you're getting bigger, you need a to hire an accountant. And I also think it's I think it's when you financially can, can afford that. And also when your business is at a point where you have some real stories to tell, you know, mm -hmm. the startup story. Yeah, it's kind of cool if you've got a really quirky product. But, you know, if you're just a general startup, there's not really much of a story there. You know, once you're 10 years in and you've had a real roller coaster and some real things to talk about and maybe some standpoints as well, some stuff you stand for and a, some maybe some soapbox areas, then I think it's like time to bring in the big guns. The big guns. All right. Okay. Thank you very much for that. Now let's uh, let's let's dive a little bit deeper into uh, some of the questions that are coming up. So uh, Samantha, do I need to know who my audience is for B two B PR? Will that determine what publications I should pitch or my messaging? I feel like there's a there's a sharp answer coming for that one, Samantha. Uh, one word. Yes. <laughs> Look, I think I think um, yes is the, is the answer for that, um, and you're probably going to have different audiences. I'm not sure like who was behind that question, but in terms of it's the same thing. It's business objectives. It's knowing who your audience is for the for the PR campaign. What do you want them to get out of it? Is it to buy? Is it to just know about you? Is it to invest? Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yes. Let's go with the question. Answer to that question. Absolutely. Um, yes. So okay. The next one. Could you? Could you each recommend a good, solid web host that allows self-editing of sites, maybe range from low-end to mid-range, example, WordPress upward? Is there, I mean, this is not necessarily PR-focused, um, but, uh, you know, is there, is there a short answer for this that you have, Kate? Yeah, um, I would say that all the content management platforms now, content management systems are improving from an SEO point of view. So it depends what type of store you want to, what type of site you want to have. Store, then maybe Shopify, uh, Squarespace is an option. Word, but I would always opt with WordPress if I could because it just has that edge, and also you actually own your site. If you're on Shopify or Squarespace, you don't 
own your website you're hosted on their platform they can switch you off whenever they like uh, so wordpress has a bit more of a learning curve and needs kind of a bit more love and maintenance as it as it goes on um you know shopify it's you know you can kind of set and forget to a degree but um if i would put all my sites all my seven websites yes they're all on wordpress um so i would highly recommend that and the hosted version not the wordpress hosted version so you want to self-host your WordPress website. Thank you very much for that. So uh, yeah, but let's let, if if we got PR questions, put put them through. I know again, I know there is a difference between chat and Q and A. Please make sure to put them in the Q and A. Let's uh, let's let's take another one from Lee. Um, do journalists respond to cold outreach for pitches from companies? Can the content by itself be enough, or is it better to aim to build some relationship? or go through an agency that has a relationship. So we've answered this to some degree, okay? So we've definitely answered the second part of it. But what about the first part, cold pitches? What are, what are your experiences? Who wants to take that one? Oh, I'm happy to jump in. Go for it. Um, it look, it's, I don't think it's, yes, relationships are extremely important, um, you know, and business is built on relationships. It doesn't matter what industry it is. But if you've got a great story and you've got a great hook and you position it in a way that it's short and sharp and to the point and it suits that publication you're pitching, then the journalist is, isn't going to worry too much about where it's coming from. That's that's my short answer. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Um, Bowden, I feel like you unmuted. Did you want to say something there? Uh, yeah, no, completely agree. I would say probably 95% of our media coverage has been from a cold pitch. Um, a lot of the the follow-up pitches will be once you've built that relationship and you, you sort of have your go-to journalists. So um, if you do release a product or something a little bit smaller that you know that'll fit in that person's wheelhouse and they're your go-to, then you can go back to them. But most of the time it is a cold pitch and um, that's when you do need to understand what makes you interesting. But yeah, absolutely, you should have confidence in sending that out. Yeah, just, just do that cold outreach. Okay. Um, the last topic that I want to talk about today is personal branding, SEO, NPR, right? And how this kind of connects with one another. Um, Samantha, can, can I start with you? I know you've, you've done a lot of work in that space and you do a lot of work with startups. Personal branding versus kind of company brand. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's a topic that I absolutely love, um, so I'm very happy to talk about it. And you know, that's what we build the agency on because I, have, you know, my entire background in business has been always about leveraging the profile of a founder or a business leader to help build the company brands. Um, and you know, people by people, it's as simple as that. You can look at the big brands that have been around for decades, like Nike. Um, and Phil Knight, who's the founder, or Apple and Steve Jobs, they're very obvious ones. But those brands initially started by selling the founder story. Uh, you look at a more local context, you, you know, Melanie Perkins from Canberra, or some of you might know from LinkedIn videos, Nick Bell from Removeify um, and his other multiple digital marketing agencies. Like those, those people have always been successful in leveraging their profile to get into the press. So if you think about the media coverage you've seen on those brands, it's often driven by the spokesperson or a story in and around the founder. Um, one thing that people do worry about, which we speak to clients a lot about, is that they either don't want to be famous, 
They're terrified of the media. They don't want it to be about themselves. Um, or they're worried that, you know, in five years' time when they're trying to sell the business, that the brand is so closely associated to their personal profile that it would be hard to distinguish between the two. Um, so, I mean, they're all really good, valid points, uh, but definitely not points, um, you know, points that should make you shy away from building a personal brand because it's your story, it's your unique position that people are going to initially uh, trust and gravitate to. So it's really, really important, I think, to start with the founder story and build from there. Gotcha. Kate, what are your thoughts on this? Because you have also built an amazing uh, personal brand. I remember, you know, we, we did a podcast and you were like, well, if you search, um, cop I think it's, you said copywriter Sydney, uh, I'm the first results. And I'm like, all right, Kate, let's, let's have a look at this. And I did that. And it's just like, boom, first results. Um, and uh, obviously that's from a from a from a um, from a uh, SEO perspective, but you do a lot of work around your own personal brand. What are what is what is what are your thoughts in terms of again personal brand SEO and PR and that that mix? Well, I think when I you know for the first five or so years in my business, I was one of those people Samantha talked about. I didn't really want to put myself out there. You know, I think. There's also a degree of, you know, do I look the right way? Am I interesting enough? Am I enough of an expert? Are people going to doubt me? You know, it's that confidence thing. And that takes time, that imposter syndrome to get over. And I actually created, you know, I mentioned my business names. I created brands to kind of hide behind. Because I was like, people will take them more seriously if they don't think I'm associated with them. Ridiculous. In reality, people buy my products because of me. Because there's a million SEO courses, but you know, yeah. mine's got me and that's what people are buying into. And they're either going to love or hate me, you know, good PR, good marketing sometimes has to be divisive. It's as much about attracting, uh, repelling people as it is about attracting. Not everyone's going to like you and that's okay. Um, but, you know, especially with the kind of offerings I have, you're going to be spending a lot of time with me. I think my video, my SEO course has a hundred videos. So if you don't like me now, you're going to hate me by the end of the course asking for a refund. So it's important for a lot of reasons to kind of build up, uh, you know, a relationship as we've talked about. But with SEO, there's also another kind of part of the algorithm. It's called EAT expertise, authority, and trust. And Google has ways of looking at us, we all have a digital footprint, just like we all have an environmental footprint. And we all have mentions of ourselves out there. Whether we get the link or not, we have citations. And if we keep seeing the name Kate Toon next to SEO and keep, you know, I mentioned an article, I'm on a podcast, I'm on a panel, I'm speaking, I donated to a thing. Over time, Google goes, well, hey, this person really must know what they're talking about. So it, it's building up this idea of who we are. And PR is a huge part of that. You know, that, that's just getting your name out there, builds up a trust, builds up the relationship, but it's actually part of the algorithm as well. How Google does it, they're not particularly clear on that, but, you know, it's a lot to do with just mentions of your name alongside your expertise. Gotcha. Gotcha. Bowden, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, you are in the engine. I mean, Catapult obviously <laughs> has this very strong brand. You um, you have some very very high profile investors uh, on on the uh, on the company, from Mark Cuban to to some of the other people uh, that are there. Uh, but you know, is building a personal has ever been building a personal brand a a topic inside of the organization for the founders or the CEO? of the organization or that hasn't been a focus for, uh, for you and the team? Um, 
it has. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm big on Simon Sinek's golden circle and understanding your why before you start communicating anything as a business. So the idea that it's not what you do and it's why you do it is an important one to keep in mind uh, with any communications internally or externally. So I think inherently founders are closer to the, to the why than the people they hire. So it makes sense for media to want to engage with the, the source of that why. So um, I think in the early days, we struggled with that a little bit at Catapult because we had two co-founders that were engineers they didn't want to talk to media they didn't want to talk to people in general so it was it was difficult to to pitch and say i'll put you in touch with our founder um i was lucky in that our executive chairman at the time and is still with us um, and he's the one that brought mark cuban on as an investor um he's really good with media so uh, basically my job was just to line up interviews between him and anyone in the media and he would do the rest because he's just very sort of outspoken but in like intelligent and like just knows a little bit about everything. So um, if you have someone like that in your business, you really need to capitalize on it Um, because anyone that works in the media loves dealing with, with media talent like that. Um, But to go back to the founder point, yeah, it it was difficult um, to create uh, awareness and get them to understand the importance of it in the early days. And I sort of just fell back on our executive chairman as a result since then, we, we had a new CEO that started last November and he joined from, from Amazon. Uh, so he's based in Boston. Um, and it's been sort of a going through the whole process again in being able to attach his name and even the Amazon brand to a certain extent to our brand through PR. Um, and it, it was a focus the last couple of months. We had our FY20 results come out last month and um, announced that we were cash flow positive a few weeks before that. Um, and I, I was just pitching so many stories around having this Amazon executive join the business not turn the business around, but just sort of the influence he's had in, in the first sort of 10 months. Um, and we got some really good results around it. So as Samantha and Kate have said, it, everything's, every business is a people business. So lead with your people and don't always lead with your brand. Awesome. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's great to hear. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure what to expect from, uh, from, 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 from you and the answer you provide because just like you said, I know founders were engineers and we're not very into um, getting getting out in front of the public. So okay, let's. We got about ten minutes. Let us smash through some Q and A in the last uh, five five or ten minutes of uh, of this conversation. So uh, so Bill, for an average small and medium business, what's the indicative? And what I what I would appreciate is let's let's go through as many questions as possible. So therefore, let's give short answers again if possible. For an, for an average small and, and medium business, what, what's the indicative annual budget for PR to be effective in ratio or percentage of total operating budget? Meta. Numbers. Any, any, uh, any input on any of that? Anyone? Sorry, was it Bill, was it? So, Bill, oh, yeah. yeah. Bill. Um, hi, Bill. Um, look, what I would say is there's so many questions you need to ask before you get to that. And I know that's not the, the probably the answer that you wanted, but you really need to look at the scope of work that's involved in what PR you want to do for that business. And, and small to medium business, that's quite large. Like there's that, you know, I think what's a small business or medium business in this country is like 50 million or more turnover down to you know nothing or close to that. So I think it's a question that you'd need a lot longer answer to um, than we've got time for, but I would look at the scope of work and look at what sort of budget you think you might have to start with and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. That's, that's a great answer. 
And I think, you know, for different companies, the, the ratio is going to be different. Um, you know, some people are going to be focused heavily on PR. Some people focus on Google Glass, whatever it is. But uh, no, thanks for that. How would you go about approaching a publication or journalist that replied no to your pitch? I'm sure Samantha's got a great answer here. But uh, I must say, I would... I would take it and go away and come up with a better pitch. I must, people like say, I get emails from people for my podcast and I'm not a proper even podcast. And they maybe send me like 16 uh, emails in a row. And the last one I get is like, well, okay, I'm, I was really, dis- I'm really disappointed in you. I really wanted to have name of person on your podcast. I feel like you've really let the podcast down. And I'm, I'm just like, I didn't, what? So don't keep pushing, I think. But Samantha, probably you got a better answer to that. Um, I was interested to hear what Bowdoin would say as well because I I don't know whether you've ever gotten any no's. But, look, I think it depends on the journalist in terms of, you know, where do you go next? Some journalists, because journalists are all very, very time poor. So some journalists are more likely to respond if you went back and said, oh, thanks for the feedback, because you're lucky if you get the feedback, to be honest. Um, So if you get the feedback, then maybe you can go back and and ask, like, what was it about, about the story or the pitch that, you know, didn't work for you or what, you know, what can I change or go back with some more alternatives but it really does depend on the individual journalist I think about how far you can take that because everybody has a different uh, response approach. Yeah it's a tough one to go back to to David Swan from the Australian that last panel he said he gets 80 pitches a day so um, most reporters won't respond to you so you're unlikely to get a no you just won't get a response Um, but you don't always know if they even saw it because they're getting that many emails and um, everyone's on a deadline so um, yeah, follow up a couple times, tweak your pitch, go about it a different way, but yeah, don't send 16 in a row like, like Kate mentioned. You don't want to annoy anyone. Yeah, 16, 16 touch cadence could be, uh, could be a bit too much. Um, it sounds, sounds very American. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, as, as for panel, what is the difference between PR and marketing? Where, where do we draw the line? Thanks. Okay. Oh. Samantha, you want to take this? I'll just jump in really quick. Um, Look, I think ultimately they work really closely together if you're doing it well, but marketing, you you control the messages. You know, know, you're paying for the space in in most cases is where PR, you've got to really think about where are you pitching and why do they care? So step away from why you think it's important or what you're trying to sell and go, why would that journalist or that media outlet care? How does it fit for their audience? So it's just a bit of a mind shift. Cool. Next question. What's the best way to research who you, what, sorry, what's the best way to research who you should be reaching out to, to pitch your story? Bowden? Um, yeah, I'm probably going to give an awful answer, but this is genuinely what I do. So if I want to pitch like a soccer story in the UK about a new feature we've released, I'll go to a bunch of UK newspapers. I'll read a couple of soccer stories and pick the top, journalists find them on social media um, if I can't find their email address I'll go to the contact page of the, the newspaper to figure out sort of the generic email um, and then I'll just try a couple different ones like first name dot last name or first initial last name whatever it is and then once you've got that um, that's sort of the beginning of the cold pitch that's that's where the cold pitch starts um, okay uh, actually on this Kate do you want to do you want to mention anything on this one because I feel like there's there's a lot of this that happens um, with regards to getting backlinks. 
Yeah, I mean, as I said, one of the first places to start is by um, looking at your competitors and where they've got backlinks for. Also looking at existing articles that are out there and maybe using something like BuzzSumo to see who shared that content. Um, when it comes to getting on podcasts, which is something is kind of be my main PR channel because I'm lazy and podcasts are relatively easy to get on with, you know, really actually taking the time to see what the podcast is about. Like, you know, I get people pitching podcasts and they don't ever have guests. So it's like, they've never had a guest. Why would they, it's not the format of the show or, you know, and, and I think really important thing for just pitching in general is as Bowden mentioned people are busy. So make their life easy. So I love a pitch where it's like, they give me a really good title for the podcast. They give me a blurb they give me six bullet points. You might remember this, Shahin. They all, you know, and someone cheeky the other day said something really cute. They actually took a screenshot of a review they'd just written for my podcast, which in the spirit of reciprocity, I felt, well, I had to at least reply. You know, I thought that was clever. So make my life easy. If you give me a fully formed episode that's well-researched, has takeouts, is good to go, you've just saved me a lot of effort. If you come on and just say, I'm awesome, have me on your podcast, then I've got to try and work out what the story is. Is. Don't make me work out what the story is. Thank you very much. That was that was a great answer. Okay, what time is it? We got. Let's take two more questions. Following from Samantha's comment, what's the best way to start building the founder story for an introvert? Samantha, jumping in on that one. Uh, well, ultimately, I, I say that people genuinely have to want to do it because if you're not genuine and authentic when you're doing this stuff, then it's going to come across really fast. I think you've, you know, just start small. Um, think about, I think if you're an introvert and, and look, I, you know, I'm the same, like I don't really like the media or being in front of the camera or doing photo shoots. Um, you know, I do host a podcast now, um, but it's just something that I worked at gradually and, and I took the, the, you know, the realisation that if I want to get my business out there and my brand out there, then people need to start to see a face behind it. And I think you need to change or think about, you know, your approach to that. And then just work at it slowly, get some training, media training, uh, work with a coach if you need to, to get a little bit better at it. And over time, you actually probably will start to enjoy it. Thank you for that. Um, that, was, that was a great answer. Last question. Um, okay. Uh, oh, oh, this is this is actually, okay, maybe we'll do two more questions. Okay, two more questions. Um, what, what to look for in a good PR firm? Samantha, Bowden, anyone wants to go for this? Bowden, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, so we've worked with a, a few in the past. Um, I think some sort of expertise in your industry is pretty important. Um, I think PR agencies range from really boutique, from like potentially one person to a handful of people, right up to huge global organizations. Um, one pitched us recently that are in 230 cities around the world, which I didn't even realize was possible for a PR agency. So there's everything sort of on that spectrum in between. So um, one, like matching that scale with yours, like do you need a global organization? Do you just need something local? Um, do you prefer to just have one contact point that's actually doing the work or do you want to work with the team and an account manager? Um, and then, yeah, expertise in your your field. Like if, if we were to get pitched for a PR agency that's never worked in sports or never worked in technology and even more so if they haven't worked in sports technology, then it's it's difficult to um, sort of picture the onboarding process because you have to hold their hand a lot through the, the early stages and explain competitors and all that sort of thing. So 
to me, that would be the most important thing, feeling like they, they could just hit the ground running with it. Samantha, you want to add anything to that? Oh, I just think cultural fit is so important. So, you know, back to Bowden's point about size and, and experience, I think that's really important. But also I think you need to get an understanding for whether you think that you share similar like cultural values and, and work in a similar way. Because I know that in the past, um, you know, where I perhaps like had a, a weird feeling about a potential client and then went, no, we'll sign them because that's, you know, it's a good thing for the business. And then, you know, three, four, five months down the track, it just hasn't gelled. So for me, that's a really big standout point to save, you know, a lot of time and money um, down the track. Thank you very much. And I would just quickly add digital literacy. Like don't pick a PR agency that's all about just print. You know, uh, pick a PR agency that understands, you know, online, the online space well and the opportunities that can be gained from being on webinars, podcasts, guest mm -hmm. posting, that isn't just all about getting your article in the Sydney Morning Herald. You know, there's much more to PR than that. Hey, it's Alex again from X-Growth. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It would really help get the word out to other B2B professionals. If you're hungry for more B2B content, make sure to join our Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack, where we share the latest B2B news tactics, tips, and chat about problems we're facing in the B2B space and find solutions together. That's growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you in the next episode.